Hi, welcome to another edition of Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, Japan, and today I'm talking with manga and anime translator Jake Young, who's settled in Kagawa in Japan, and we are talking about how he does translation, some of his tips and tricks, and some of the insights into the process. As well as looking at some of his beautiful photos from the Kagawa area, which would be perfect backdrops for anime or manga in the future. Oh, Young, you got it right. Young, okay. Young,、yeah. like the psychologist, right? Yes,、yeah. exactly.、Yeah. And today you're in Kagawa, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Yep.、Yeah. Yeah, we're in、so, uh, rural Kagawa. Yep. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. And we will be showing some of your amazing photographs of travel in the area, which we can introduce to people. I think everybody's itching for a bit of travel right now during coronavirus. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to traveling again. I'm feeling pretty cooped up. <laughs> Hi, thanks for joining. I'm JJ Walsh. I'm based in Hiroshima, Japan. I work as a sustainability focused consultant for businesses and the travel industry here. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, check out inboundambassador.com. And you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com slash JJ Walsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. Uh, we will also be talking a lot about your anime and manga projects. I'm really interested to hear how you have your presses going from Japanese to English for the international audience. And to some people, I think this might seem like a strange connection to sustainability, but it's definitely connected because a lot of the culture, Japanese culture and traditions, which gets to an international audience, Comes from anime and manga. So I think the role of translators like you is, is really interesting and important in terms of perpetuating culture and having an appeal of Japan as a brand. Oh, that's yeah, I really hadn't thought about how it's connected to sustainability. But now that you mention it, I actually have an anecdote about something that、uh, came up in an anime I was translating yesterday. That, oh, wow.、Uh, I think、yeah. it's connected to that. So go for it. Go for it. Okay. Well, yeah, just、uh, just in something I was translating yesterday, the whole concept of、uh, multi nai or being、um, you know, mindful of wastefulness、uh, came up in the anime. And it was actually the line was something like, I consider this to be like you know, a, a virtue of Japan that, that should be shared with the world or something like that. So it's just.、Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. And there's, there's loads of small things like that, I think.、Um, one、mm-hmm. of the previous、uh, guests in the series, she goes by Sun Shower Kimono. Sun Shower, I think was her name. And she goes to cosplay events in the States and she teaches people how to wear kimono. And、uh, she was talking about sometimes they might wear it the opposite way. Because of the anime or manga character, they want to be cosplayed. Oh, okay. Right? And so if the character is dead, then they would want it the、right. opposite way. And I thought, you know, that's so interesting that export of Japanese culture, how it changes when, once it gets somewhere else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's also one of the anime that、uh, you've worked on is called Flying Witch. And I, I was just looking through some images. And of course, they have the traditional Japanese houses. You have shops which look just like old shops in old towns, you know. So there's that aspect of、uh, perpetuating and preserving traditional Japanese culture as well, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that was actually the very first show I uh, translated. Uh, Anime I translated for Sentai Filmworks back in, I think, spring 2016. And、um, yeah, it's a wonderful, very slow paced, relaxing, soothing slice of life show.、Uh, 
set in uh, Hirosaki and Aomori. So yeah, I think it uh, even for you know people in Japan living in the big cities, it was a show that got to um, you know like share a lot of the natural beauty of the uh, Hirosaka Hirosaki area and um, kind of the slower, more relaxed uh, pace of life. Like there's episodes where they go into the mountains and you know harvest uh, like wild uh, you know wild uh, plants and stuff um, and. Yeah, you know, just uh, enjoy, enjoying the cherry blossoms around Hirosaki Castle. And yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people, uh, yeah, both in Japan and uh, overseas, you know, after seeing that, they wanted to go up and uh, visit Aomori. So I think the show uh, kind of did its job as advertising it as a tourist destination as well. Yeah, definitely. I know there's certain areas of Japan. Um, so, for example, in Totori, and I'm sure you know a lot more than areas than I do. Um, for example, Totori with Gege Ge Kitaro, and they have the oh, whole street right, yeah. with all the characters on the street. And that is such a big appeal for domestic tourism, but also for a lot of international tourists who would never go to that rural area otherwise, right? So it's a it's a nice yeah, way to yeah. pull in visitors to kind of spread them out of, across Japan, which is, of course, more sustainable tourism that we want to aim for, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I know there's a whole kind of uh, culture among anime fans of going to like certain uh, like you know, temples or shrines or, you know, finding uh, finding that set of uh, steps that's at the end of uh, your name and, you know, Tokyo and like taking photos there and that kind of thing. So it's it gets people going to uh, different areas and, uh, yeah, creates some tourism for areas that wouldn't be seeing visitors otherwise. So it's pretty neat in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Let's share some of your photos, which I think looks like manga and anime. So, for example, Naoshima. Oh, okay. Naoshima Island, uh, of course, the famous Yayoi Kusama artist um, and her famous pumpkins with dots. But you are such a good photographer and you capture it with such magic that I'm surprised this island in particular hasn't been in manga or anime yet, has it? <laughs> no, it hasn't uh, as far as I know, but it's, you know, it's uh, it would be an absolutely great setting. I mean, it's you know, right in uh, the Seto Inland Sea, um, in between Kagawa uh, on the island of Shikoku, where I am, and uh, Okayama prefectures. And yeah, it's super picturesque. It's, um, uh, you know, it's there's not too big of a local population there. And uh, the island's not too big. So a lot of people will rent, you know, a, a bicycle, which is what I did. And you can really bicycle around the whole island. Uh, in not too much time at all, a lot of great art museums and, um, but what it has, Naoshima has featured in actually, I think is a James Bond novel. So there's a small James Bond museum there, which is kind of <laughs> random, but that was, that was neat to see. <laughs> That's really fun. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I went there, uh, during the, they have like a three month time in spring and then a three month time in autumn, is it where they have the actual festival and you, you have a pass and you can go inside all the different art projects. But pretty much any time of year, you can still see a lot of artwork outside. Um, you can cycle around, like you said, it's a beautiful little island, not hard to get to from Okayama side or um, Kagawa side, right, by ferry? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, they've got ferries from both Okayama and also from Takamatsu and Kagawa. I don't remember exactly how long it takes from Kagawa, but not too long, maybe like 40 minutes or something like that. And it's the Seto Inland Sea, the seas are usually pretty calm and uh, they actually call uh, like Kagawa, like Hariguni, sunny country. So it's usually pretty nice weather. Yeah, as well. and it's it's not, it's a lovely ferry ride as well, past others. Oh yeah. Islands. Yeah. I think that that has been a great uh, appeal, added appeal for the whole area because this is an area of Japan that not many people were visiting. So it's it's nice to have those innovative ideas to bring a lot more people in and enjoy the outdoors and 
you know, it's it's great for the future of travel after COVID or even trying to social distance while doing tourism, right? Um, let's yeah. go back go back a little bit uh, to your training and your translation and uh, talk about anime a little bit. Um, sure. So I heard in one of your other interviews that you were working for like kind of a big company at first for manga anime translation. And it wasn't very satisfying because you didn't get credit. It was a lot of a lot of work. You didn't have so much control over the projects, but now you have a very good relationship with Sentai. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think, yeah, probably what I was talking about is uh, when I first started translation, I did a lot of uh, business and finance and general translation, but my first media translation um, experience was working on some really big uh, video games, but through a translation agency which is kind of an intermediary uh kind of layer between the publisher and uh the translator so yeah all those projects were uncredited and usually um you know the finished game wasn't uh the game wasn't finished at the time so you're basically just working uh in an excel spreadsheet with maybe some screenshots or some descriptions and there's maybe four or five other translators on the project and the communication maybe isn't so great. So yeah, overall, I found it uh, less satisfying than translating uh, anime or manga where uh, you, you're looking at the, you know, finished product already and you're crafting the whole translation uh, on your own. So it's, um, and then, you know, also being credited, it allows me to kind of interact with the fans and uh, see, um, get their feedback and opinions on things. So yeah, I found it to be uh, very satisfying work, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you were talking about being invited to be on the red carpet. Tell us about that. Oh, that was, yeah, something I never expected to happen, but um, I translated the Made in Abyss uh, TV series back in the summer of 2017. It's a really cool um, adventure story about uh, kind of traveling into this uh, mysterious uh, pit that has um, all these alluring and uh, highly valued uh, relics, but also is quite dangerous. But yeah, anyway, um, they it was a pretty successful series and they um, ended up adapting the first TV season into a couple of uh, compilation films, um, adding in some new scenes and some new music and all of that and uh when i got word that uh so i translated you know the, the those films as well and then i got word that sentai was going to do a um premiere world premiere of the uh, english um translation uh in los angeles and i had uh my sister was living there so i actually had wanted to make a trip anyway and uh I got in touch and, you know, I'm like, well, could, you know, I maybe meet up with uh, some Sentai staff afterwards or, you know, maybe get a free ticket to, you know, the show or whatever. And they're like, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do better than that. You know, you can uh, walk the red carpet and go to um, like the after party at the Ritz Carlton afterwards, which and that allowed me to talk to the director and to, um, Kojima-san, who's a super nice guy, and uh, also Kevin Penkin, an Australian, who did uh, the music, and the music for the show is absolutely amazing. And it's just cool that there's a Australian working in uh, the anime industry at the level he is. Uh, he's done a lot of new shows as well. But um, yeah, that was an experience that, uh, you know, working as a freelance translator, I never expected that I'd get to have. And uh, even now, I'm um, still got a great working relationship with Sentai, and uh, I can't announce it quite yet, but I just spent several months working on a project for them that uh, I'm just as excited about as Made in Abyss. So hopefully any day now, the announcement for that will be coming. That's great. I look forward to it. And the best place for people to catch up with your latest work is on Twitter. Is that right? Yes, Twitter, that's where I'm definitely the most uh, active. And uh, I try to, I think I've got a hashtag um, M translating, uh, where I 
kind of post some uh, translation anecdotes and some tips and stuff like that. And then I post some stuff about the uh, Japanese language with the Nihongo hashtag. And uh, my photos, I think, are uh, Jake's Japan photo. So, nice. yeah, but it's, I mean, you know, anyone interested in translation, I think they'll find some good stuff under those first two hashtags. That's great. I've heard a little bit of, of background uh, from other interviews that you've done about how you got started and also what advice you would give to other people who want to get into translation. Now, one of the most important things, of course, is to get your Japanese ability up. So you have passed the level one Japanese test. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. I did that, I think, 2009. So just a, like a year before I went full time, uh, became a full time freelance translator. But yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, the first thing uh, you obviously want to get your Japanese ability up to snuff. And it's always it's an ongoing process. I'm still learning uh, new stuff all the time. But you, you definitely want to get the your core level um yeah i think being able to pass uh yeah the level one of the japanese language proficiency test is a pretty good benchmark it's not absolutely necessary but that will probably let you know your japanese is is ready um you but uh yeah i mean talked about some oh, of the dictionaries that you use so it was interesting to me to hear you're not only using japanese to english dictionaries you're also checking it with japanese to japanese dictionaries and you're also trying to find the manga for the anime to get a feel for how the dialogue works it's quite an in-depth process it's not a straight just listen or just look and translate directly, right? It's quite a in-depth process, is it? Yeah, I would I would say so. Um my favorite dictionary is probably the uh Kenkyusha um dictionary, which has uh you know a lot of good uh multiple uh, translations for every word, a lot of good synonyms and things like that. But most of all, it just has excellent uh, example sentences that you know are vetted. Um, and yeah, I mean, a, about half of the uh, work of a translation is actually crafting the English to make sure it sounds good. Like if you have natural sounding, well-written Japanese, you want to make sure that the, you want to be giving the English viewers the same kind of experience that the Japanese viewers received like I kind of uh, one way I've heard to think about it is um, you know how would the original author original creators have written this in English themselves if they were truly bilingual so you know does the, if the Japanese flows well if, if it sounds good um, you want to try to replicate that in English so besides you know Japanese ability consuming a lot of uh, well-written media you know books films in English and practicing, uh, you know, your writing ability, writing skills in English is actually super important too. And there's a lot of uh, like tricky phrases that will, you know, are like, uh, you know, can phrases that come up all the time in Japanese. So one thing I recommend is keeping um, like a, a glossary of like, you know, a term like, um, let's see, I think I, took a glossary entry here as an example. Um, oh yeah, like maitana or something will like come up like, you know, a lot. So I think in my glossary, I've got, I give up, you've got me, I've been beaten this bites, I'm in a real fix, damn it all. So <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I've got like, you know, 400 different entries or something. And uh, yeah, working on those stock phrases can can help. That's so interesting. Um, I also heard you say um, it takes some creativity, of course, because you have to you have to connect with the audience in the language. So in their culture a little bit, but you have to keep the essence of the original Japanese, like you said. And sometimes this includes keeping things vague. So if it's vague in Japanese because they're building suspense, they don't want to give it away too much. You have to have a similarly vague way of telling 
the dialogue. Is that right? That is definitely true. Yeah, I did um, this one show called uh, Release the Spice, which is kind of like a uh, a mystery. Like the, there's basically this a uh, group of uh, high school girls who like after school work is kind of like secret agent type spies. And uh, th right at the beginning, we're told that one of them is a traitor to the group. And uh, yeah, and it was actually, it wasn't based on a light novel or manga or anything. It's an anime original show. And even I didn't know how it was going to turn out. So I had to be very careful of keeping the, uh, you know, the phrasing and equally vague to the Japanese, not to try to slip up in any way that would, um, you know, give a sense of uh, the trader, you know, being someone in English when it, that that kind of nuance wasn't in the Japanese. So that was, yeah. Definitely. But uh, also, yeah. like you were saying, yeah, like, I mean, when it comes to things like puns or, you know, jokes, you, you want to make sure they get across to the uh, English audience, you know, as, as close as possible, the same way they came across to the Japanese audience. So you kind of need to, you know, tweak them, um, so they work and so they're funny without having to explain the joke. I think it was an um, uh, interesting example came up in uh, Parasite, the uh, Academy Award winning film, uh, where there was some joke about uh, Seoul National University. And since that was for such a, uh, you know, intended for the subtitles were intended for such a wide audience, they actually changed it to Oxford. But uh, <laughs> And, you know, that's something I wouldn't have to do for anime or manga because, uh, you know, the average fan is in tune with Japanese culture enough that they know about uh, kind of the stereotypes about Tokyo University. So yeah. that would have, I could have kept that. But yeah, you need to keep things like that in mind. That's wild. So you need to to understand the the heritage and history of the story, but also you need to understand the local culture and heritage history of the audience to try to make something yes, relatable. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Like understanding the audience um, uh, is very important, and there are things uh, you know. TV anime, the audience can uh, generally be considered to have a little more experience with Japanese culture than um, like the audience for a really mainstream film. Besides Sentai, for the last year, I've been doing some work for uh, G Kids rather than the like original translation from scratch. Usually they receive um, the translation from like the Japanese studio, but they've asked me to do like some quality assurance and revisions on uh, some stuff for like uh, Weathering With You, uh, Shinkai's latest film and uh, Lupin the Third, the first. So some really kind of big mainstream films. And then in cases like that, you, you probably don't wanna, you know, um, assume that the audience has the same type of uh, insight to Japanese culture. So yeah. like you wouldn't, um, but you want to keep some of the key words in Japanese, right? Because the audience craves learning some of the key words or even the names, uh, should be kept in, in Japanese. I often meet, uh, travelers who come to Japan, they're manga or anime travelers and they, their pronunciation is really good for one. They know a lot of Japanese words from even watching English translations of the anime and manga. It's really impressive. There must be a balance there, right? Yeah, there's definitely a balance. Like, um, you know, something for, uh, if like yakisoga, yakisoba was like discussed um uh but it wasn't if it was shown on screen then i'd just leave it as yakisoba no matter what but if it's not shown on screen for a like tv anime audience you know actual like anime fans i would just leave it like that you know assume they're familiar with it um but if it was like uh you know a mainstream film, I'd have to consider, you know, if it should be fried soba noodles or something like that. So it's, it's a balancing act. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And then I think you were also talking about, of course, for anime, it's not only about translating the script, 
it's it's about timing. So you have to time it the same timing that it's spoken in Japanese. So what you write has to be able to be said in English in about the same amount of time. Otherwise, it won't work, right? So that's another tricky aspect of anime versus manga, right? Yeah. It's, so uh, when a show gets dubbed into English, there's actually a separate uh, job position called uh, ADR writer. And they make sure that all of the uh, like you know lip flaps and everything match up. So they'll take my subtitle translation and tweak it further so that it works when they dub a show into English. But uh, yeah, just even with the subtitles though, you want to match the delivery to a certain extent. Like if there's a you know a, a decently long pause in the beginning of a sentence, or you know a comma at the end, or um, a comma in the middle, if you can, it helps uh, to make the subtitles even smoother if that matches up to some extent. And then in manga, you don't have to worry about that uh, delivery as much, but manga, on the other hand, has the uh, speech uh, balloons. So with uh, anime, you can really pretty much break up a line uh, wherever you feel like it, but with manga, you need to, the text needs to fit into the balloon. So if, you know, the character says one sentence, but the first speech balloon is really small and the second speech balloon is big. You need to, you know, break the sentence up so that it works like that. And a lot of times, uh, you know, since in Japanese, the verb comes at the very end, you know, a lot of times the English sentence um, kind of ends up being flipped compared to the Japanese sentence. So that creates an extra layer of, you know, finding the, the right place to, uh, you know, break it up. That's so interesting. And it's, it's, it must be really hard for certain films, which are so creative and, and out there and unique to find a suitable, like out there, unique translation for like a person's name or a character type or something. I think you were talking about this, like uh, something sweeper you ended up with, whereas the original Japanese was really really out there like really hard to translate oh uh maybe it was about uh in made in abyss there are these uh, creature names um yeah yeah so th thinking you know translating stuff like that um yeah i mean i think in that case it was i think that was maybe uh naki kabane which is like literally like cry uh like animal type cry and then corpse so i think i changed that to corpse weeper in english just tried to come up with something uh you know cool that gets the same vibe across yeah um but yeah things like um you know place names or creature names or item names those those can always be a challenge to translate have you found that uh being a translator has kind of enhanced your English ability to communicate or your English vocabulary because you've had to think in English as well as Japanese in a kind of a different way? Uh, yeah, I think it's probably helped my uh, writing and, um, you know, I do use a thesaurus uh, a good amount. So it's probably helped in that respect. On the other hand, I've like lived in uh, rural Japan for the last like 10 years now, I guess. Uh, so yeah, besides speaking English to my own kids, sometimes I go quite a while without speaking uh, English out loud. So I'm not sure how. Um, yeah, I sometimes get told my accent's slightly funny now when I go back to Michigan. So <laughs> <laughs> that's wild, isn't it? Um, you pick yeah. up the local dialect because you've been there so long. Um, one of the other interesting things that I didn't know is if you're translating a song, you have to translate it into a suitable English version, which fits with the song and lyrics, of course. But then you have to translate it back into Japanese to get the final check so that they understand how it was changed. How the heck does that work? That sounds really complicated. Yeah, it's a bit of an arduous process. I mean, it's uh, songs, I guess, uh, the rights are handled separately than, um, you know, just the actual show. So 
um, yeah, the songs require uh, approval from the Japanese, the translations require approval from the Japanese licensor and they um, require you to do the back translation so they can see how anything has changed, especially, I mean, uh, you know, as you know in Japanese, a lot of times the subject or even the object of a sentence is just implied and not stated outright. And usually within, you know, a show or something, there's enough context to be able to tell, you know, the subject is I or whatever. But in a song, sometimes it's it's pretty vague. So you have to make an assumption about that. And uh, yeah, once in a while, they'll be like, you know, I'll get like a note back, um, like, Oh, actually, the subject here was uh, like we instead of you or something like that, and it's, so that's that's kind of nice that uh, that it ends up being correct in the end. But yeah, it is. Um, it makes it so the the translations need to be a bit more stiff and literal. I mean, I do my best to make them still sound nice, but you can't if you spice it up uh, too much. It's probably not going to get the licensor approval. Yeah. What is your time frame for these projects? How long do you have to translate like an entire film, like an hour long film? How, would it take you like half a year or longer, shorter? Uh, so usually for films, there's uh, more leeway because uh, it's not like gonna be uh, streaming at the same time time is a uh like the japanese tv show uh nowadays the english subtitled simulcast will stream you know like half an hour after the show airs in japan but uh so like usually with a say a tv show um you'll get the script a good while ahead of time and then maybe uh sometimes you'll get the the video like a week ahead of time but sometimes especially later in the season it's not ready so they'll just send you the rough uncolored video which is what the voice actors in japan use when they record uh their dialogue and uh so if i'm translating like a simulcast with an episode like every week um usually you know sometime early in the week i'll uh, start translating with the script and uh the rough video and i'll do kind of the first translation like i'd consider it pretty much like most of a day's work like a full day's work if i want to do a good job and then when the final video comes in um i'll spend another like couple hours um checking my translation and editing against the final video so but yeah with a movie i'd, I'd consider a movie usually to be like you know a 90 minute movie or something to be like six anime episodes worth of content so i'd like to have a couple weeks to do one uh ideally and with the i mean the every uh, some other licenses their process might be different but with sentai i'm more or less responsible for my own editing too so um, you know, I try to get the translation as polished as possible. And usually what ends up uh, on the screen is like, you know, 97% as I wrote it. And the other, the stuff that changes, I'm, I'm glad it changed. <laughs> Someone worded it better, or, you know, caught something or other. So there is another, like there is a community of people who might be able to at least spell check or edit some of your work at a different stage before it goes or it's mostly like you said mostly your own editing but do you have like a team that you can kind of communicate with i think i heard you say in another interview you really like working for sentai because some of the other translators you can say does this sound okay and like feed ideas off of each other which i'm sure is helpful oh yeah that's super helpful yeah um yeah, so they, there is a supervising translator uh, for all the projects I do, and they'll they'll watch over uh, the show and check, you know, give the give it some amount of uh, checking before it, it goes live. And uh, yeah, with there's a couple in-house translators with Sentai, um, and I always if you know I I'm 
if there's something I'm stuck on or, um, you know, I just want an opinion if uh, this is a good way to handle um, a certain kind of uh, issue, I'll get in touch with them and see what they think and run it by them. And that helps a lot. But uh, yeah, so rather than like a set editor position, though, there's someone that does the um, the timing of the subtitles and uh, the typesetting of like, you know, the captions and stuff on screen. And at the same time, they're doing that, they'll do a little bit of editing. And of course, you know, check the spelling and grammar and all that. And I think there's also kind of the the production assistants, I believe, will watch the show and look for, you know, spelling and grammar issues and that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow, interesting. And a major question, which I, I'm sure a lot of people thinking of doing this as a career will be asking is, can you do this as a career? Will it pay enough? Or do you have to have a side hustle like an English teaching job to make your life work? Uh, yeah, if you find the right... Um if you find the right companies to work with, it can definitely work as a career. Um, uh, you know, I just did, uh, you know, a big, I won't say exactly how many episodes, but uh, over 20 episode show. Um, and then a really big booklet that came with it. And if you can get a job like that, it will keep you busy for, for quite a while. Um, and, you know, you, you probably want more than uh you know, just one client too. I also do stuff with G kids and uh, seven C's. And then, you know, uh, if you need to pad your schedule at all, you can, uh, there's always a ton of uh, business translation, finance translation and stuff to go around. Um, and some of that can be, especially like the finance or legal translation can pay quite well. So it could uh, make ends meet if <laughs> you need to, you know, if your uh, funds are a little tight. Well, that's that's good to hear, because um, even outside of Tokyo, sometimes people say they have to be in Tokyo to get the good jobs. But you find that maybe now with coronavirus, it helps. But working online or working remotely is not a problem. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's for translation, especially. Um, I know a lot of translators and I'd say most of them are um, most of them are freelance. And uh, for in-house, I think maybe um, overseas, uh, you know, it, it really depends on the company. There's some really, there's some really good in-house positions, but uh, in general, I mean, uh, I think being freelance can allow you to make more, especially when it comes to non-media translation, things like finance or legal translation, you'll actually probably do better being freelance uh, and, you know, securing jobs on your own, I think, or, you know, through agencies, but generally make more in a year than uh, working in-house. But in-house can be, uh, it can, you know, it can get uh, you some good experience. And especially if you're under a senior translator or something, I think it can be a, a good way to learn some skills. And, you know, I uh, started translating immediately upon moving to uh, Kagawa after finishing the JET program. So there wasn't, there weren't really any in-house positions here anyway, but I wish I actually could have done a year or two in-house. Yeah, to get kind of a, some good work on your resume. So people kind of know what you can do and trust you and then go back to you for a future job, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. It would yeah. help in that regard, yeah. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about bonsai plants. I love these photos that you took. Tell us about this place. Yeah, so this is uh, Kinashi, um, which is kind of like a suburb of uh, Takamatsu. And uh, I think they've been growing bonsai in that area for 250 years. And they've got an 80% share of um, the uh, domestic uh, pine, uh, yeah, Matsu uh, bonsai uh, nurseries. So most of the, you know, really nice uh, pine tree bonsai have probably been grown in this area. And they've got, uh, there's a train station, you know, called Kinashi, I believe, right by there, a short walk to all the nurseries. And uh, there's quite a few nurseries that you can just go in and browse around and see some really amazing bonsai. So it's, uh, it's one of the, yeah. yeah. 
And you I saw think, you, know, most... you saw the artisan at work while you were there. You can see him below. Yeah, you get to see a lot of uh, artisans at work, and uh, a lot of people are happy to chat about uh, their bonsai. There's a few people uh, there that uh, are used to getting uh, overseas uh, bonsai tourists and can speak English pretty well as, uh, as well, if, if I remember correctly. Wow. And it's not as easy as it looks from, from what I remember. A lot of American audience might have seen bonsai in Karate Kid and other movies, right? And uh, it's, it's really important to do it correctly if you want it to grow in an artistic way. I, I just love it. I think it's fascinating. Oh, it's super fascinating. Yeah, I mean, some of these, you know, the really highly prized trees, some of them are, you know, 100, even 200 years old. And someone's been tending to them every single day. So it's just, uh, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's, um, you know, these people who go into it, they, you know, are like a apprentice or whatever for like a decade. And, they, you know, it's, uh, it's actually a very, uh, you know, highly developed skill set that they need to raise all these trees. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Felix says, "Cool bonsai, nice." Let's, <laughs> let's yeah. go to let's go to Kompira-san because I think Kompira-san is a really interesting temple complex. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's technically a. Uh, a a shrine, but what's interesting is that um, uh, it's a yeah, it's a shrine dedicated, I believe, to um, seafaring, uh, you know, kind of protection at sea and that kind of thing. But uh, what's interesting, I think, is that uh, it has a lot of uh, Buddhist influence as well, and that it wasn't even strictly defined until the uh, the Meiji period when the national government designated it as a uh, shrine rather than a a Shinto shrine rather than a Buddhist temple. But yeah, what's cool about it is it's got, what, uh, let's see, 1,368 stone steps going up to the main temple, uh, main shrine complex. So it's, it's crazy. And yeah, I, it's really, I had the chance really to visit, beautiful. And I was really surprised, of course, with all the steps, but also if you can't do the steps, they actually have people that carry you up in in a yeah, little box like the, right you can pay for that yeah, or, like yeah or you can you can put your message in in the olden days maybe not now but you can put your message to the gods um in a dog's collar and the dog will take it up to the temple and and give your donation or offering oh up there. wow yeah really cool so i was thinking this would be a perfect place to set an anime or manga in my mind so many stories <laughs> oh yeah i agree yeah and the you know the views once you get to the top are really nice as well um you're kind of like hiking up kind of you know up the side of a mountain so it's you're on these stone steps but you know you're surrounded by all these trees and it's just it's really beautiful yeah and then at the base of compilasan before all the steps there's a cute little town and they have all these uh udon noodle making schools which i see that you did one of the udon schools is that with your daughter or son so cute oh yeah that's with that's with my son yeah he's uh probably only like three at the time i think yeah um yeah udon kagawa is pretty synonymous with uh, udon they call it the uh, udon ken and all of like the PR marketing and stuff. Uh, and, you know, people will line up for uh, at the popular places on the, you know, three day weekends or whatever people in non-corona times will come from Osaka and line up for like an hour to get into a Udon restaurant. So it's it's yeah. pretty interesting, but yeah, this place is, is fun. Yeah, I mean, they've got, you know, experts that teach you how to make Udon from scratch. So, you know, you need the dough and you cut all the, uh, you know, you cut it into strands for the noodles and you uh, cook it up right there and it's delicious. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's pretty funny that the kids like is, uh, you know, they put the uh, the dough in a plastic bag and you jump on top of it to knead it. So, yeah, my I went with my students, university students years ago, and, and we all had so much fun. And the, yeah. the guides or the teachers that teach you how to make udon are so enthusiastic and so funny. <laughs> So I think even, oh, yeah. even if you just are listening in Japanese, you would still be entertained, even if you didn't understand 100%. I love it. 
<laughs> I agree. Yep. Uh, let's go to another beautiful area that you've shown. Where is this? You've got all these gorgeous pictures of a garden. Is oh, this is uh, garden? yeah, Ritsurin, Ritsurin Garden in uh, Takamatsu. It's uh, so it's uh, not considered one of Japan, or it's not technically one of Japan's, you know, three famous gardens, but most people say that it, you know, should be included among those three. And actually, Kagawa is right next to, uh, you know, Okayama. And I've, as much as I love uh, Kenroku and there, I, I actually prefer Ritsurin Garden, but it's, uh, yeah, it's got a very long history. It was made by, uh, you know, feudal lords of the area. And I think the Edo period, um, really beautiful during all four seasons, right right near downtown Takamatsu. Um, you can go on, there's a place to do a, you know, tea ceremony and uh, you can go on the, you can take a boat ride and uh, lots of areas to stroll around. Yeah. Lots of uh, koi carp you can feed, just a yeah. beautiful place. That's awesome. I also fell in love with your photos of Upengi, Upenji. Upenji, yeah. How cool. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this is neat. It's actually the one place I included that's not uh, technically in Kagawa. It's, uh, it's in Tokushima, but it's, so like, right when you start seeing these uh, hundreds of uh, Buddha statues, you walk over uh, a line in the pavement on the top of the mountain that says Kagawa on one side, Tokushima on the other side. Uh, so the main way to get there is actually riding a uh, ropeway, a really picturesque uh, ropeway from, um, uh, uh, I forget the uh, the town right now, but uh, in Kagawa, uh, you ride the ropeway up to the top of the mountain and then you step over, uh, you know, the border borderline. And then this is in, uh, Tokushima, but yeah, it's, it's neat. It's, it's on the, uh, 88 temple pilgrimage. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's hundreds of these statues. It's since it's at the top of the mountain, if you go up, uh, you know, in winter, there's probably going to be a dusting of snow, uh, which is, you know, not all too common, uh, this far South in Japan. So it's, it's, it's neat to see. Looks beautiful. And then of course, Kagawa, is famous for its views of the Seto Inland Sea, and you have some stunning photos um, at a lookout just with these shots of the islands dotted beyond. Where is that? Yeah, there's a couple really great ones. The The one with the uh, cherry blossoms is called uh, Shiudeyama, mm -hmm. which is in uh, Mitoyo, um, Kagawa. But yeah, it's it's uh, quite famous for having just an amazing combination of uh, cherry blossoms. There's like 1,000 cherry trees on the top of this mountain wow. that over, and then it overlooks this uh, the Seto Inland Sea. It's just really picturesque. So, yeah, that that one in the bottom uh, right is kind of the uh, the classic scene that you'll see all these photographers kind of trying to get the shot for. That's but uh amazing. yeah really really beautiful and then uh the other one that's now on the uh top left of the screen is uh that was taken from yashima which is uh a plateau just uh just to the east of takamatsu city and uh yeah it's um i think it's famous for like a 12th century battle between the uh taira and uh, minamoto clans uh a pretty decisive battle took place there but it's it's a neat place because besides uh great views of the seto inland sea it over also overlooks all of takamatsu city so you can get some neat overhead shots of the city as well that's gorgeous do you do you find that as a photographer and a translator it gives you more of a balance in your life especially with a family that you're able to get out and explore and take beautiful photos and enjoy nature and then come back and sit in front of a computer screen for hours and do some translation is that a good combo it seems like it oh absolutely yeah i mean um you know, sitting in front of a computer all day long and then being a freelancer as well, where it's just me, I, 
it's really nice to get outdoors. And uh, even when I'm not doing photography, I make sure to take a long walk every day. Um, but yes, it's very cathartic to get out in uh, nature, even cityscapes and, uh, you know, just get out with a camera and not be sitting in front of the computer. Um, and uh, with, you know, the photography too, uh, rather than shooting events and things, I mostly do stock photography. So I can fit that into my schedule, you know, whenever really. So it's, it works out quite well. Yeah. Do you find that pays all right? Stock photography, you've, you get enough income back for the amount of work that you do? Yeah, I'm mostly taking the uh, photos just most of the time, uh, just because I want to be taking them anyway. So I mostly consider it just to be a bonus, but I was lucky enough to get in with uh, Getty Images and they actually um, charge, you know, enough that they can pay quite well when someone licenses uh, your images, but it's, it's very, uh, it's very hard to predict, uh, you know, what's going to sell. Well, uh, I, I just, at this one, uh, like, uh, highway rest stop, there's the, there's this stone path that like diverges in like two directions. And I just randomly took a picture of, uh, like my friend standing at like, you know, the, the top of one of the, you know, the bifurcation, you know, <laughs> one of the, the fork, he was on one of the forks and all of a sudden it's been used by like 20 different financial institutions for like, you know, choosing the right future or whatever. So it's, it's so random. Wow. But, but you yeah. don't know what's going to hit for people in marketing and stuff sometimes. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of camera are you using? Are you using not just a phone, right? A proper SLR? No, no. Uh, yeah. I use a, uh, well, uh, mirrorless now, which is kind of the new, uh, thing after uh, SLRs, but yeah, it's a Sony uh, A6500. So it's it's fairly, uh, you know, since it's mirrorless, it's fairly compact, but the image quality is really nice. And uh, yeah. yeah, I've got a couple couple different lenses. And, got yeah. some great shots. Are you using a tripod or is it handheld? Uh, yeah, I'll use tripods for uh, night photos. Um, but yeah, for like dusk and twilight nowadays, the uh, the sensors are sensitive enough that uh, you can shoot, and then there's image stabilization, so you can uh, shoot handheld. Like for the uh, that one at the top left, I think that was handheld, probably. Yeah, gorgeous, just gorgeous. Is that sunrise or sunset? That was sunset, I think. Yeah, yeah. fantastic, love it's it. It's neat to see all those those ships going through there. Yeah, it's got a uh, like uh ponyo vibes kind of yeah i was yeah. just at tomonoria the film, other yeah. day where uh ponyo is set so that that I, oh, wish okay. I, I wish i could have stayed till sunset and uh seen the view next time it's not too yeah. far from where i am so next time oh, uh getting yeah. getting back a little bit more to your anime work um you were talking about you really like working on anime originals uh things that are in a series and things that you know week by week the new story comes out and it's kind of exciting that way do you ever get bugged from your fans to give hints about what's coming <laughs> uh oh no luckily i don't think i think people are you know realize that oh, i'd never uh divulge uh what's coming um i think you know the the farthest I've ever gone is like a super vague, you know, this next episode's awesome. I mean, it's really, a, uh, I'm, you know, just a humble translator. It's the creators of the show that uh, have the right to, uh, you know, give any kind of uh, previews or hints or anything like that. So that's not really, really my place, but uh, yeah. yeah. I do, sometimes I do get people asking, you know, if, if I, you know know anything about a, a new season coming or you know something like that and you know the answer is always you know if i did i couldn't say anything and i'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd make sure not to not to give any hints or anything like that but it yeah it be. is neat because some of the series you work of, uh, on are so popular you must get people asking is there another one coming or give us some hints right <laughs> it does happen sometimes but yeah it is it is a really neat uh you know privilege to know like what you know, happens, uh, you know, ahead of time and, you know, 
just be like, oh, wow, this, this next episode is really going to blow people's minds or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I heard you say that if you had to choose one of your anime uh, situations to live in, that you would choose Adam in the beginning, the prequel to Astro Boy. Is that right? Oh, yeah, I probably did say that. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't want to, you know, be in any uh, situation like uh, Made in Abyss with, yeah, surrounded by terrifying danger all the time. So <laughs> that in the beginning sounds nice. It's just set in the uh, kind of uh, near future with, uh, you know, when they're first starting to make uh, AI uh, capable robots that are starting to, you know, feel and stuff like that on their own. So I think that would kind of be a neat future to, to be in. And one more question. Um, I'm not sure if this is the case, but are you in all connected with the people doing the voice work? Uh, not directly connected. I, I uh, followed some of them on Twitter. We're like on Twitter mutuals with a few of them, but uh, not directly connected, no. But... Um, because I know sometimes there's like a, a big name, like a comedian or something is going to be this role. And I just wondered if that would influence how you write the dialogue, knowing who's going to say it. Would that influence you? Oh, well, usually, like I was saying, there's the uh, ADR writer who like will take my subtitle script and then, you know, tweak it for the, the English dub. So I think usually I'm... I'm just trying to create the best subtitle script I can based on uh, the Japanese. But yeah, the voice actor performances uh, in Japanese, though, really uh, inform my translations. You know, uh, there'll, there'll be sometimes, well, I'm sure, uh, you know, with Maiden Biss, actually, I worked on the uh, manga uh, for the latest film. Uh, that arc, I did the manga first before it, the film was adapted into an anime. And uh, yeah, some of the, you know, I changed some of the translations, tweaked them a bit to work better with the uh, voice actors delivery or performance or whatever. So, yeah. Wow, really interesting. Because I would imagine if you know that, for example, Ellen DeGeneres is going to read a character or uh Will Smith is going to read a character that you might write it a little bit different, but you don't you don't know that in the process, is that right? Right. Yeah, I don't know that in the process, but I think the uh, the person who's adapting uh, the subtitle translation into the English dub script, they probably will know that, and I bet that does inform their decisions to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Do you ever translate the other way? Like, do you ever have projects in English that you're helping with the Japanese dialogue for? Uh, no, generally, I, it's best to, especially with media, to translate into um, your own uh, native language because it's really hard to write uh, natural sounding dialogue in a second language. Like, they'll just be things that are just a little bit off. Uh, and also I think there's actually more demand from going from, uh, or not more demand, there's uh, less supply going from Japanese into English than there is going from English into Japanese because that, that market's usually done by uh, Japanese nationals who, you know, are learning English as their second language. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, occasionally there'll be some like small, uh, thing like that my town i'm on like the international committee here and they'll you know ask me to translate some english pamphlet into japanese or something so they can you know use it for whatever but you know i'll do small jobs like that but generally i try to go english or japanese to english only that makes sense to specialize and uh, I heard you say that one of the ways uh, when people are starting out or to even keep your hand in and keep your practice up is to watch a Japanese film that has already been translated by someone well and then match your translation to what they had and then try to improve 
upon your skill that way. Would you still recommend that as a good style to learn and improve? Yeah, yeah, either with uh, anime or, or manga. If you, uh, you know, have heard buzz around a certain show being, or manga being translated well, or you just know it's translated by someone who's, you know, respected in the community and does a good job, or you've seen their other translations and they're good. If you go into that uh, manga or anime blind without having seen the translation at all, and try to produce a translation on your own, and then after your translation's done, if you compare it to the official translation that uh, people have been saying is really well done, then you can see how you did things compared to how uh, the official translator did things. And it's a yeah a good way to study and uh, perhaps improve your skills or see different perspectives. So I do def definitely recommend that, yeah. That's awesome. Well, that is our hour almost. Thank you so much, Jake. That was a great insight into the world of anime and manga translation from Japanese into English. And I, I want to say again, like we did in the beginning, that I think this is really important in terms of uh, protecting Japanese culture and traditions and kind of exporting this culture and tradition to a wider audience around the world. And of course, creating a brand for Japan, which creates tourism appeal and also product appeal for a lot of Japanese products. So especially traditional ones, I think, which are worth uh, protecting and supporting a little bit more as people get older, there's less artisans. The work that you're doing is so important. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I agree, uh, especially, you know, the shows that are set in, you know, modern day Japan, they do a lot to promote uh, Japanese culture. And, uh, you know, there's so many tourists that come here because they, you know, enjoy anime or manga or whatever. So it's, uh, yep, just try, try to do the best I can. <laughs> That's awesome. We have a question here from Brett on the HAPS team. Thanks, Brett. I've heard that manga artists can have intense work schedules. Does that kind of work schedule trickle down to the translation efforts? Yes, uh, I, I definitely can. So with the manga work uh, I've done, it hasn't been any uh, simul pub series is what they call it when the English translation comes out at the same time. But uh, it's pretty similar to like the simulcast uh, anime where it's, you know, the English translation is coming out at the same time. So uh, when schedules get busy on the Japanese side, sometimes the final video, I'm getting it, you know, uh, like 12 hours before I need to, or like even less before I need to turn in the translation. So yeah, there's definitely a time crunch where, um, you know, the, I'll turn in the final translation to, you know, I'll get the final video, you know, the day of, and then turn it into, you know, Sentai later that day, and then they'll do the, the subtitle timing and all that, and uh, have it, you know, streaming to hundreds of thousands of people a couple hours later. So it wow. can be a time crunch. Yeah. And I, I think that applies to the Simulpub, uh, you know, the Shonen Jump, all those series like, uh, you know, like One Piece and Dr. Stone and all that come out week to week in English. So, yeah. Yeah. Good question, Brett. Thank you. And I think we'll end it there. If people want to find out more about Jake Young's uh, work, have a look on Twitter or your website. Can you tell us your website address? It's kind of difficult to see there. Oh, yeah. It's uh, so my family name, uh, J-U-N-G dash uh, honyaku uh, dot jp yeah awesome thank you so much and yeah i was surprised you can also find your profile and your work on the movie database so imbd imdb that's awesome yeah yeah i think there's that and then there's also um a really good place to check out who works on anime and manga is called anime news network they've got a really big database of uh, anyone involved in that kind of work yeah that's great well maybe after you have a few more interesting projects coming out you can join us again in the series and give us an update on your latest projects sounds good it was nice talking to you 
So nice talking to you. Thank you so much, Jake. Thank you, everybody, for joining today. And uh, tomorrow is off. Friday morning, we're talking with Chris Wieners from Okayama. So join us again, 9 a.m. on Friday. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. Thank you, Jake. Take care. Thank Bye. you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, Coffee, or Haps. Have a great day.